I've seen a lot of people start out and think, oh, well, I can price it at this and, you know, I can make this much. And it, sometimes it seems like something you're making a lot of money, but there's just, there's material costs. There's just so many factors. And I think, yeah, that made a big difference having a retail background to come from, um, you know, and, and also when my parents took vacation, they weren't totally on vacation. You right. know, they, you know, we went to Disneyland as a family when we were younger, they were always checking in. So you can't really just let go of it. Um, mm-hmm. You're, you're always a part of it. Hey, Islanders, and welcome to episode 188 of the Camino Voice. Today, I'm here with the owner of Jellyfish Creations and the featured artist of the month in the lot for September of 2023. Please welcome Julie Rizel. Hi, I'm Brandon Erickson, and you're listening to the Camino Voice podcast, where I interview local business owners, comedians, singers, and more. I dive into their backstory to find out how they got where they are, What are some of the tips for you to do the same and find out where they're going? Tune in every week as I interview more of the people you see every day. Hey, Islanders, welcome to another episode of the Camino Voice, where we release a new episode every Tuesday. And I hope you guys are having a good August. We are into that second or third week, whatever it is, halfway through August. That's what we are. And uh, yeah, it's kind of, it's flying by. Um, before you know, it's going to be September, back to school, and um, all of those things. So, hope you guys are enjoying your last bit of summer. Um, wanted to make a quick note to everybody that um, we have a Cider Fest, Camino Cider Fest, coming up on Labor Day weekend. It's just on Saturday this year. Uh, there's two time slots that you can sign up for. You'll show up, you'll try a bunch of different ciders from different cideries, uh, local here in the Northwest. And um, there's going to be food, music going to be a party. Um, so tickets are right now uh, $35 a piece. Um, that ticket gets you six tastings. I should know this off the top of my head, but I don't. It gets you a number of tastings, a crem- commemorative tasting glass that you get to keep. And uh, we're also going to have merch for sale. There's going to be the cideries that are going to be selling their stuff as well. Um, so it should be a good time. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I hope you guys come out for that. Um, and again, that is uh, August, not August, September, um, the Labor Day weekend. You know what I'm talking about. September 2nd. That's what it is. Um, so yeah, be sure to come out, check it out. Um, I will put a link for the tickets in the show notes. So if you guys are interested in doing that, uh, please do so. Uh, yeah. Um, cool. And we will just jump into this. So, um, yeah, so today I get to interview Julie Rizel, um, and she is going to be the Featured Artist of the Month for the month of September. And for those of you who have been listening, the Featured Artist of the Month um, is up here, upstairs in the loft at Camino Commons Marketplace, and it goes through the third week of one month into the third, second to third week in the following month. So it's going to start this coming, it's weird this month because the third, you know, third uh, 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 Wednesday or Thursday, um, is going to be this coming week. So it's going to be starting this week and going through the second or, you know, second weekish of, uh, September. So be sure to ch- come up and check out her stuff that she's bringing in. Um, uh, but we get into all sorts of things here. Um, I really enjoyed my conversation with Julie, um, found out that her family had a, um, shoe repair business or not shoe repair, shoe business in downtown Everett since 1990, uh, 1950. 
1915. Um, so the year, the, the business almost made it to 100 years old, if I'm correct. Um, as we were talking, we kind of talk about when it closed down, and I, I couldn't remember the exact, but um, fascinating. Grew up doing, working in retail, um, was working at the age of like 10 in the store, um, doing stuff. Um, so, you know, in and out of retail, understands that side of the business. Um, so it was a lot of fun talking with her, me being in the retail space. Um, love hearing about the different things. Uh, and uh, yeah, just really, uh, I learned a lot kind of from her perspective of, of how they did retail stuff. And uh, yeah, so anyways, um, then she started doing glass and glass work and started her own business and using and drawing upon her experience from her uh, childhood and everything else um, to getting to this. So um, really excited about this podcast episode. You're going to learn a lot both about art and glass and that process and how she goes through that process, but you're also going to learn about business. You're going to learn about how to... Um, you know, kind of some of the ins and outs of retail business and, um, yeah, all of that, all of that and more. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Julie Rizal. Hey, Islanders, and welcome to another episode of the Camino Voice. Today, I'm here with the featured artist of the month for September and the owner of Jellyfish Creations. Welcome to the podcast, Julie Rizal. Hello. Uh, did I pronounce your last name right? Yes. Oh, good. I didn't ask beforehand, so good. <laughs> <laughs> so before we get started, tell us a little bit about Julie. Um, I grew up in Everett. My family had a shoe store for a hundred years. Whoa. Um, so I started working when I was 10. I was not slave labor. Um, I just greeted customers and we had a mail order business at that time also. And so, yeah, so we were a long established business in downtown Everett. Um, nice. Yeah. So what was that like? I mean, that's obviously like the shoe business has evolved and changed so much over time. Um, what was that like for your family? To, did you hear stories about what it was like when they started it? And well, my grandfather and his twin brother started in 1915. Okay. Yeah, so it was Chester and Lester Beard. Um, and so they had all kinds of funny things that happened because they were twins. And then when the war came, my, my um, grand-uncle kept the business name and then my grandfather rented Rumba McLean's which was Macy's which is now Funko in downtown Everett wow rented the the shoe department and stayed there through the war and then when the war was over they opened up on Colby and anybody that knows Stan Borson who yes. plays the accordion and everything he had was one of the featured um, musicians for the opening of the, the store and then we were there from 48 to 95 and okay <clears throat> so very cool. How did uh, how did that end up uh, closing up then? Um, my dad was sort of retiring, okay. And um, SAS Shoes had asked us to open a concept store, and so we had opened that up. And Dad was sort of stepping back. The business model for that type of shoe store was like a mini Nordstrom's. We were apparel and shoes, multi-line, okay. men's, women's, and children's, higher end things, and. Um, it was a challenge to, to run that many, you know, that many slices of the pie. Yeah. You know? And, and so the business model was changing, parking was changing. Yeah. And, and so my folks stepped back and did the concept store that my brother ended up running. And so, wow. Yeah. Anyway. Very cool. And, um, when you say the war, do you mean world war one or two? Two. Two. Okay. Cause I try, I always get my 
dates mixed up. But World War One was not. It, it was kind 15, of in the same fifteen to eighteen, and then okay. World War Two thirty three to forty. Yes, somewhere in there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, I was just like, you're in that time frame. I'm like, it could actually be World War One. There, she's talking about. So I was just <laughs> yeah. confirming. Okay, that's very cool. That's so cool too, because I love the idea of like owning, you know, a shoe business way that long ago, and, and for running it for that long. Yeah, and I'm not sure how they got into shoes, but shoes was it so <laughs> nice yeah, yeah. And, and when you talk about like running a, a, a retail store that's really based on apparel and footwear um, the thing that people don't think about when it comes to those things is that like you have to get so many different designs in all of the sizes oh, and then right. you know it doesn't matter what you do but like one time you'll order and you're like oh I got the right size these are the size people buy and people don't buy your main ones they buy all the side ones and then you're like okay so now I've got a bunch of Right. mediums and XLs and, and mm-hmm. then the next time you order you try and correct and it so it's yeah I think it was harder with apparel than shoes because most of the companies we dealt with they were you know there might be a new style that came out but they the shoes them, the companies themselves were long term business yep. models and so we could reorder and um, so yeah nice. I, uh, I also started Birkenstock Repair because of my family business. So okay. I also repair Birkenstocks. Not so much anymore, but I have everything. If anybody wants to drop their Birkenstocks off. <laughs> um, so Birkenstocks were so popular in the 80s and the 90s yeah. that they couldn't repair them fast enough in California. And so the salesman said, oh, hey, why don't you learn how to do this? I'm like, oh, I can do that. So anyway, I did. And then I was basically working two full-time jobs. So trying to repair Birkenstocks in the evening after I got home and going, oh, my gosh, it's 10 o'clock and I haven't made dinner yet and I was newly married and um, you know and so it, it was hard working for my folks all day and then then doing that on the side and, yeah but uh, but it was also natural because I've always done stuff with my hands and so then doing the repair work kind of just fit in with me and so right um, but yeah so anyway I, that that's a piece of me too yeah <laughs> so how do you feel like um, people that grow up in families that are entrepreneurial or small business owners it, it puts a different perspective on money uh, and, and work ethic and different things like that. How do you feel like that affected you growing up? I, th- I think because, uh, because I started, you know, the Birkenstock repair business and then now I have my, my glass, I, it, I didn't have the same unrealistic expectations that most people have when they go into business and they yeah. can't, can't make it. I knew there had to be a markup in order to be sustainable. Um, I also knew my advantage was working from home in my studio and not having to rent additional space. And so there's so many factors, you know, beyond electricity and employees. And I'm also able to keep it to my myself and my husband as um, occasional slave labor. So <laughs> um, he works for cookies. And uh, um, so I, I think that that made a big difference, just knowing how to price things yeah. and, and just sustainability, you know, over over hurdles, you know, you know what, sometimes you just have to work nonstop and, yeah. uh, and then sometimes you can coast a little bit, but you yeah. have to have your hand on it all yes. the time. So. Yeah. And you always have to be on to some degree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And, and all of those pieces, they all add up and they help you. I mean, you look at the world differently. You, you, and like you were saying, you understood what was involved, the cost that was involved, not just from a dollars and cents, but you know, that it wasn't going to day two, you weren't going to explode into whatever. It was this 
longer journey. Yeah, um, yeah. And I've seen a lot of people start out and think, oh, well, I can price it at this and, you know, I can make this much. And it, sometimes it seems like something you're making a lot of money, but there's just, there's material costs. There's just so many factors. And I think, yeah, that made a big difference having a retail background to come from, um, you know, and, and also when my parents took vacation, they weren't totally on vacation. You right. know, they, you know, we went to Disneyland as a family when we were younger, they were always checking in. So you can't really just let go of it. Um, mm-hmm. You're, you're always a part of it. So, yeah. Yeah. I, um, recently I was, I had, I was talking with my son who's 10 now. Um, and he was like, he was asking me how, like, He's like, so when people buy something, like, you buy something and then you sell it for more? And I was like, well, yeah, that's how it works. He's like, that doesn't seem fair. And I'm like, well, this is, I mean, this is how it works. I kind of explained the supply chain and how that stuff worked. Um, But, yeah, it's one of those things that, like, you start learning those things as you're younger if, if you're in that type of world. Yeah. When I was your son's age, I was buying penny candy and... I did not understand the concept of tax and boy, the store owner had a really robust discussion about tax. And I, I really challenged him to think outside the box of how to explain to a child that's like, well, I don't understand why ha- this says 10 cents. You know, I want to pay 10 cents for that. What do you mean this other penny? <laughs> so, so um, yeah, yeah, I get it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Very cool. So then, um, so how, when did you stop working for your parents then? Um, my husband was inventing in the kitchen, mm-hmm. which was a mistake, and I brought him breakfast, apparently, which was also a mistake, and I turned around to go back in the kitchen, and he had a piece of stretch metal on the floor, and I caught it with my slipper and pulled it into my heel and cut it down to the bone and had to get stitches oh. and then couldn't walk on that foot and do the normal things for a while, and so I transitioned in, in probably in 99, <laughs> so, but from 10 years old to 99, and that was a few years. <laughs> wow. So, yeah. And in working in a family business for that long, um, and one that's been going for so long, what are things that you guys did to make that sustainable? Cause, cause some, some family businesses don't end up being sustainable because of family, you know, disagreements and things like that. How did you guys kind of work through those things? I think it was challenging for my dad when he worked for my grandfather. He was, mm-hmm. you know, my, my dad didn't have vacations for a long time, worked six days a week. Um, and even, so I worked, you know, for my, I would work during the summers when I was in high school and a couple days a week in junior high. And, um, and then I worked after school during, you know, the school year and stuff. Um, it was just an expectation that you understood was there and that you, you did. So yeah. I don't know. It was just such a part of life. And then we'd be open during the holiday times and it would be dad and I um, usually work in the, um, the later evening hours during the holidays and it would be a little slower. So we'd play cards or something, you know, <laughs> so it was kind of, it was just different. It was family time. I, I don't know. Somehow mom and dad always put everybody else first. So they, if there was lean times during a recession that happened, you know, one time they, the employees always got paid first. And so they always were making sure that the, the business was sustained, you know, yeah. over, you know, we would just cut back a little bit and I don't know, you know, some, some yeah. of that I wasn't totally privy to because I was younger and, you know, just trying to exist. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Growing up. and Yeah. But all of those things, I mean, I think are just, they just give you, again, that new perspective that 
a lot of people don't end up getting if they just kind of go into working into a job and, and follow that kind of that type of path. Yeah, I, so. I guess I th- always think in a retail mind, you're like, oh, I can make this work. And, you know, it, it's it's different, I think, than working for somebody else. Uh, advantages both ways where Absolutely. you can be done at the end of the day. It's not <laughs> your responsibility anymore. Working from home and working for myself, I, I'm always like, oh, man, I really should be out there doing this. But yeah. I have to do this now. <laughs> so. Yeah. <clears throat> so then when did you start getting into uh, glass blowing? Um, it was an accident. Okay. Uh, so I. <laughs> you have in, a lot of happy accidents in life. Um, in 2010, my my family and my husband's family um, both had cabins over on Woodby Island, and so we'd gone over to spend New Year's, and we did a blow your own experience over on Woodby, and I bl- blew a lopsided bowl, and I'm like, look at this cool thing I made, it's this walkie bowl, and you know, so we had an idea and approached the artist and said, well, this is what we want to do. We want to make pendants. Can we blow like a cake platter, you know, a flat disc, and then turn them into pendants? And he, so he helped us um, do that. So I would, you know, input my, what colors I and kind of design I wanted. Um, and then I started assisting, and then I was doing it all the time. Um, and I started assisting at a higher level and not knowing what I was doing, but, you know, <laughs> just kind of following along. And so we did the first platter. We turned them into pendants. I didn't even know what a bale was to go on. This the part that attaches on the... I didn't know what this was. Okay. And I'm like, ah. So my husband took a bunch to work. It was two days before Valentine's Day. So I had blown my first thing on January 1st. And by the middle of January, I was starting to create things. And then he took them to work and sold like 45 in two days. Of course, it was guys. He was a construction worker. And yeah. it was two days before Valentine's Day. <laughs> and most guys hadn't, you know, done anything. And I go, well, oh, man, I think I just started a business, you know. So then I was off the cliff and falling, trying to figure everything out on, on the way down. And um, I'm like, oh, man. So... <laughs> Then we just were up and running and started making more platters with the artist I'd been working with yeah. and um, found stores. And um, so I wholesale and consign now, and I have since 2010. Okay. And at one point, we were up to like 40 stores. <laughs> wow. Um, and we had, you know, some place in Montana and Idaho and Oregon and, and then, um, you know, just a lot of a lot of different places and there's been attrition since then and lost a lot of places during the pandemic. Yeah. And, you know, our stores just naturally close. And, um, so yeah, it's kept me really busy since then. Um, wow. Yeah. So then, um, you said you were working with the other artists to yes. make the platters and, uh, <clears throat> and looking at your pendant, it's smaller. So then do you guys break the platters or what do you mean? Does platter not mean what I think platter means? <laughs> well, um, I guess, I guess if you think about a serving platter, so, you know, like a big, a big disc, mm-hmm. um, not sure the diameter. Um, so then we cut and shape from there. Okay. And so when, when you blow something, it has to, you know, you, you created it, it goes in the annealing oven overnight. So it cools down to a temperature, um, just under a hundred before you can open the doors before you get thermal shock for the glass. Okay. And, and then, um, then I can take it home and the product can actually sit for 
you know, months, years, whatever, until I can get around to monkeying with it. Okay. And then we cut it up, and then it has to go through our kiln at home, which is the size of a dining room table. Oh, wow. Um, and then I, and then it we soften the edges to, you know, so it's not sharp or yeah. anything. Um, and then it's the pendant, so. Okay. Um, yeah. Nice. So is that still your... your uh, process, or you're still working with some of the same people, or have you found new people to work with? Um, I have a lot of backed up material that I haven't processed yet. Okay. And, um, and yeah, so I'm I'm kind of doing the same same thing, um, but I along the way I learned how to do everything. Yeah. And you know, so I didn't have formal training, but I've worked with a couple different artists and have. I do um, olive oil bottles and starfish and um, in the vases and um, what else do I do? The pendants. Um, and I had a, a health event. I had cancer a couple years ago. Mm. And so it's um, kind of taken away some of my ability to uh, the, the weight of the blowpipe trying to, to spin out a platter is really heavy and even yoking it in front of the, the glory hole is kind of too much and I have some neuropathy left in my hands. So, okay. um, to, 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 so it's harder for me to do stuff that way. Yeah. Um, so I'm probably, probably focusing, I have so much pendant material made up that I'm good to go for years, but, <laughs> um, I'd focus a little bit more on the fused and sump glass dishes that I'm doing because mm-hmm. um, my my hands tolerate that more right now. And, um, of course, when you're blowing, you're always working with an assistant. So okay. they can, you know, take stuff that I'm like, okay, I'm going to drop this. Somebody <laughs> doesn't take it really quick, you know. But, um, you know, I rent studio time when I when I'm blowing also. So okay. it's very expensive to have your own hot shop and just the electricity to keep the furnace pot going is about a couple hundred dollars a day or more wow. now. So in the furnace pots where you melt the cullet to start the whole process. So, okay. And, um, you know, with clear glass and. And is that something that has to always be on? Like yeah. it can't turn off? Right. It's on 24 seven. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it looks like a big green egg, you know, kind of, you know, the barbecue yeah. is, is about that size. Um, round you know so and um, and you you fill it at night with the cullet and then you do, then the next morning you come back and it's all melted and ready to go so okay that's the clear stuff and then the colors that you're adding in is glass frit and um, which looks like rock salt and it okay. can be fine in powder form to more coarse um, okay and depending on the sizes, this is probably a question down the road here. Um, probably the, depending on the, you know, the if it's opaque or transparent, um, affects how your your color presents itself in the in the platter or anything else you're making in glass. So okay. you usually use a mixture of opaque and transparent together to okay. create what you're doing. Um, and then how how you spin things um, or how you you know pick up and heat in the heat in the uh, frit affects the the overall um, ending. So okay, yeah, very cool. When um, <clears throat> you, you mentioned that, like, there's heat shock or, or uh, thermal shock mm-hmm. to the glass. Have you ever had that happen where you open too soon and it exploded? No, no I've been careful. Okay, <laughs> I was like, that would be terrifying. I feel like every time I opened, I would be like. I know it's been long enough. I think it's been long enough. No, well, there's a temperature gauge. And even for my kiln, you want it 100 or under. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I just make sure that it's reading 100 or under. Like, I couldn't swap the kiln out before I came because it was still too hot. And I'm like, (laughs) so. (laughs) 
<laughs> trying to shove the last three things, you know, through there before the right. show. And so, yeah, uh, you know, it's like, because <laughs> it takes forever to, um, you know, to have stuff run through the kiln. It's, it's 12, 14 hours for yeah. a full fuse. And, and then um, any of the dishes that I do, it's two times through the kiln. So one time you're fusing two pieces of glass together. The second time you're slumping or draping into a, a dish form. So, okay. you know, so you have basically the kiln's tied up two, two full days with whatever you can fit in there. Yeah. <laughs> so. So how do you how do you actually get the the droop or, or get the dish shape that you're trying to aim for? I have molds that uh, you cut you um, you, tr- you trace out the molds and then you cut to the shape of that mold. Okay. Um, and then there's a lot of washing involved, so you have to wash, make sure the oils from your hands and the marks from the sharpies are off the glass before you okay. <laughs> put it in the kiln. So you know you cut it, wash it, then it goes in the kiln, fuses, has to come out again, get washed, then you put it on the mold and it then it slumps into the mold form or drapes over something to to drape into that form. Okay. So. <clears throat> when right after I mean you're cutting the glass into what you want it. Um it's all sharp at that point, right? You gotta be pretty careful. I have a really good stock of band-aids in the studio. <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I'm ble- always bleeding. And so I, I had three cuts on my index finger and my and my middle finger on my left hand the other day. And I'm like, oh, man, I have so much glass to wash. So I was bleeding all over the place. And I just had to, like, mop it up, put Band-Aids on, and put my hand back in the glove. Because at that point, I was washing glass with gloves on. But I like a really thin glove so I can still feel... If I wear too thick of a rubber glove, yeah. then I've lost some of my dexterity in my hands from the neuropathy, and I don't have as good a control. And I always wear an apron because otherwise I'm cutting the front of my tongue. Oh, <laughs> well, because when I'm drying it off, I lean part of the glass onto myself yeah. so I don't drop it. So Yeah. Probably everybody doesn't have to work like that, but I do. So. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And when you talk about the platters and stuff, are those fairly thick or are they pretty thin? They're um, hmm, they're about an inch thick. Mm. So they're they're thicker glass. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not the same as sheet glass for fusing. It is it is quite a bit thicker. Okay. And so you uh, you want them spun out a certain way. You also want enough clear on top. I like them done a certain way. I like my color in a certain spot on there. So you have to kind of color both sides of the platter, and it. it um, I don't know how to explain that, but it's just yeah. the way you pick up the frit and how, okay. you, how you work it. Um, okay. But and when you're cutting the glass, is it common for it to, like, split or crack as you're cutting, cutting through? Yeah, so if you put, if I'm cutting something and I have my left hand down and I'm cutting with my right, and if I put too much pressure with my left, then, yeah, then when I go splinter. to break it, then it's like, whoop, and it's gone, you know, way off to the right. Or sometimes you might not see there's some sort of fracture in the glass and you put it in the kiln and it fractures inside the kiln oh. when it's heating. That doesn't happen too often, but it does. And you're like, oh, man, that, that would have been a really nice, you know, tray or whatever, you know, I was making. And, and then that's it's usually one piece that's not like all the pieces, but there's some glass that's a little bit more fragile and. Um, I'd recently got a glass that was just very temperamental. And so anytime I went to cut and then break it, it was just, it had a will of its own and it was winging off all over the place. <laughs> so I'm like, man, I'm going to make magnets out of this because it's, you know, it's not cooperating. So, oh. <clears throat> yeah. But. Yeah. Glass, uh, glass work is always fascinating to me because, because of the, the, the limitations of it. 
uh, the the you know thermal shock type of stuff. The you know you hit it just right with a hard object and it breaks. Or, you know you're you're constantly have to be careful. Yet it's also very hard and, and heavy. Yeah, um, so yeah. it's an interesting medium to work with. Well, and well, and since I work in two different mediums, you know, molten glass yeah. is endless. The amount of things that you can do with that. Yeah, and I would have to say my pendants are very hardy, so you have to be very intentional to try and break my pendants. Maybe the the fused glass dishes could be easier, more easily broken, but. Yeah. Um, yeah. So nice. It, it, it depends on what you're, you know, h- how you're using the mediums. And yeah. So was, you know, you grew up in the retail and with um, working in the family business. During that time, was there anything that kind of made you think like, oh, at some point I want to be an artist or, or kind of get into that world? I wanted to be a marine biologist. Okay. That didn't happen. I don't know what happened to that dream, but no. And then when I was in college, I was studying to be a speech pathologist. Okay. Um, I I um, didn't finish that. I got sick and had come home, you know, and then went back to work for my parents. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I've always done things with my hands. I've always crocheted, I knit. Um I'm actually a basket weaver that somehow got into glass. So, okay. But I've been doing glass now for 14 years. and um, But, yeah, I, I, I've woven tons of baskets. And, you know, I just, I guess I've always just done, um, I'm industrious. So yeah. if I'm watching a movie, I'm knitting a prayer you shawl. You want to be moving. Yeah, I'm, just, I'm doing something, I guess. You know, yeah. I, I tend to have that, you know. Yeah happening all the time so very nice um with with basket weaving this is i know kind of a tangent but um i feel like that that craft is like disappeared uh we used to be uh, you know for gift baskets and things like that Mm -hmm. we used to be able to find baskets and stuff like that but now like they're very difficult to find Is, is that something that you've seen through i think there's pockets of people that do it and i think when you start to um kind of get involved in a niche yeah you know then it's like oh everybody's doing it right so, um but i i think there's still you know like there's still the nantucket baskets from back east and i typically uh weave in round reed that i dye myself um i do some cedar but there's a lot of processing with the cedar basket um, beforehand and you know access to cedar so mm-hmm. um it, yeah, and I think also, you know, with some of the other countries that are able to do it, um, you know, so inexpensively right. to have a handcrafted, anytime you're handcrafting anything, um, you can't get what it's worth the person's time to create it. So right. um, I think there's the sustainability factor. People that weave baskets are probably not weaving it for a, a business, you yeah. know, a livelihood business. It might be a secondary you know yeah so well and that's the thing when it came to the baskets it's like the amount of work that goes into one basket and then the you know people try and when you're trying to find them you know for lower cost it's like but there's so much work that went into it how can somebody be reselling this for as cheap as they are yeah it's that's hard and so the first time i learned to to weave i had approached a basket weaver said well do you teach Oh, yeah. Well, she she taught me, and I made my first basket, and it was like my first little bowl and glass, and it was a little wonky. And then I'm like, I saw how it came together, and I think that's what I like about glass also is taking this raw form and then being able to turn it into something that 
I can then utilize in my kitchen or my home. And that it's like discovering the secrets to the universe for me. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's not Stephen Hawking's, but it's, uh, <laughs> you know, but I saw how it came together. And I think I, I think I liked that. So I liked seeing um, with the baskets or the glass that you take this blob of molten glass and then you can make this out of it. And um, so, yes, I think that intrigues me and keeps me interested. So Yeah. Well, and I think um, when it comes to any of those things, when you're, you're taking raw material and turning it into something that's useful or beautiful, there's a different aspect. You... you um, well, one, you feel more connected to it because you, you've actually seen that whole process. Mm-hmm. But there is something empowering about that. Like, every once in a while, my brain runs off and it's like, what would happen if electricity was gone tomorrow? I'm like, I'd be dead within a week. Like, <laughs> you know, it's like when you start lear- relearning these things that have been passed down for so many generations, um, it, it's definitely empowering because you're like, oh, that's one more thing I know the world could end and I could still continue to do this. I, I could make a basket, but, you know, un- unless you had some sort of pedal power for electricity and you could have somebody that could sustain it for 14 hours plus, you know, <laughs> I'm not going to be writing my kiln. So, <laughs> um, yeah. But, uh, yeah. 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 <laughs> Very cool. So then, um, as you've continued to kind of hone your craft with, with glass, what are ways that you've kind of distinguished your glass and your style from other, other producers? Um, I don't know. I guess I could say that, I don't know if this probably doesn't answer your question, but I like to work in a lot of colors. Um, so I like to have a huge variety um, of types. So that with the fused stuff, I like to make a variety of dishes that then you can incorporate into you know, if you're having friends over for crackers and cheese and a glass of wine, you know that you can put it on this cool little platter. <laughs> you know, so yeah. I, I like it to be mixed in with stuff. I make soap dishes and spoon rests. So just, so I don't know how how I differ. Um, I, I remember when I started doing Birkenstocks that I I thought, oh gosh, you know, there's so-and-so's doing it and so-and-so's doing it. And I thought, no, you know, you just have to, you know, provide good quality work, mm-hmm. you know, and, and good customer service. And I have to tune that out and just do, do what I do. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Uh, and as far as the pendant, it's all about matching. So, okay. Yeah. <laughs> very cool. Well, and that, that point I think is also mm-hmm. very good too, for people that are starting businesses or in business. Um, there's nothing new under the sun in the sense of types of businesses or things like that. Like all of us are, are some variation of somebody else's business. And so you have to just focus on what you can do within your business and how you operate it with your customer service, how you do your products and things like that. Because if you just sit there and compare to everyone else, you're going to be like, oh, well, they're doing that. and They're doing that. And, you know. Right. And then you. You never do anything. Right. I, I don't think most people work at the same volume that I do for the fuse glass Mm -hmm. and that I also started by accident so I was just doing pendants only and and then I decided to monkey around I didn't know what I was doing again and um, started to fuse a couple dishes and and then I was giving them away as gifts to family and friends and I'm like oh I really like doing this and so then I started doing more and then I would add it to I do a couple little local craft shows and then mm-hmm. um, 
recently, probably in the last few years, I've added it to, I have a, a few stores that actually take the dishes. And it's very difficult for me to keep up with life and trying to manufacture enough stuff. Yes. Because I'm one, I'm yeah. one person. So, um, but the the dishes added to the shows, you know, and then I had the pendants and the, the dishes. And so it just rounded everything out. And people come you know, when I'm at a show and it's just, I have so many colors and the pendants are so, there's so many colors in the pendants uh-huh. and they're kind of like, ah, <laughs> you know, they're overwhelmed um, because there's just a lot of choices. Yeah. Um, so I guess I like a lot of color choice. You know, everybody has something else they're drawn to. And, yeah. Um, I know when people, when I'm doing a show, people would come and, and they like one pendant that they want to see more. And I'm like, well, I have 50 other blue ones, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so they'll look at those but they always go back to the thing that drew them to my table in the first place. And they'll almost always buy the one that first first pulled them over to, to look at. Even if they've looked at 50 or 100 more, they're like, nope, I want that one. Okay. Very cool. <laughs> nice. Um, so as we mentioned at the top of the show, your, the name of your business is Jellyfish Creations. Where did the name come from? Well, you probably figured out I'm a little quirky, so... Um, I always look for the whimsy in something, and hot molten glass is transparent and fluid, and okay. so is a jellyfish. Oh, so, very cool. <laughs> so that's my story there. Yeah. So. Nice. Um, as you've continued to grow, are there certain artists or glass blowers that you follow that have kind of influenced how you've done your work? Um, well, I worked for a time with Ed Schmidt um, okay. out of Bellingham, and he's um, he he has his own business and, um, and also is extremely well respected within the glass community Mm -hmm. is taught at Pilchet glass. Um, and yeah, I, I'm not, um, I would say I'm only executing 40% of what's in my head. Okay. So I, with, with life, I just don't have time to do everything I'm thinking about. Yeah. So, um, I might see something and go, well, I think I want to kind of do something like that. But then I'm just so busy with what I'm already doing that it doesn't happen. So I I wouldn't say especially, but Ed Ed was a great teacher when I worked with him. Mm -hmm. Um, Very patient and um, and I learned tons from him. So Nice. Um, During your time with, with Glasswork, is there any specific um, project or certain piece that was really memorable for you? Um, I'm not doing giant installation works because, it, so, I, probably no. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I have blown, you know, vases and, you know, different things, the olive oil bottles. But if I was, if I was blowing to create an installation, then yes, you know, if I was working at the level of Chihuly and I had <laughs> assistants all over the place, then yeah, I can maybe say that, yes, I had this one thing <laughs> that I did, but, um, I'm more, I'm more of your craftsperson or kitchen, you know, kitchen artist, yeah. you know, so, so I would, no, that's probably not something that, yeah. that I could speak to. No, but. that's great. Um, so for people that ha- are listening and maybe have thought about glass blowing or, or are interested in it, where would you say is a good place for them to start? Locally, the Shack Center in Everett 
um, they have uh, blow your own experiences and coming up in the fall um, at least I know they used to do this I've never blown down there but I, I know they do these things and they'll have a blow your own pumpkin experience um, I would say do the blow your own experience you get a little <coughs> bit of hands on but there's you know a, a trusted trained person working alongside you and and that's what kind of sparked it for me you know, was was making my silly little bowl <laughs> then you can't take it home that night it has to yeah has to come back the next day you know and get whatever you've done but um because it has to sit in the, uh, the kneeling oven overnight um but yeah i would say you know probably locally for people here the shack center mm-hmm. i don't know if any of the glass artists right here um offer blow your own experiences or or not but the shack also i know offers classes and, okay um, yeah, I would just say go get your feet wet. Yeah. Um, it's it's fun, and it, if you like to see how things go from, you know, one to another, you know, physical shape, then, and you're not afraid, you know, of the, the glass blowing. You know, <laughs> you, you just, you're not touching the end of the blowpipe. That's <laughs> really hot, you know, and, and there's just, there's common sense safety practices, you yeah. know, that, so. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Very cool. So um, tell me about the pieces that you're going to be bringing to the loft for the Featured Artist of the Month. Um, pendants. Um, so, and then uh, some of my, my dishes. Uh, and then I'm hoping to get a couple of my embossed dishes that have like a, a scene or something behind it. Um, oh, cool. Done. But timing through the kiln, I'm, yes. it's tricky. So yeah. if they're not here at the beginning of the show come back and look, you know, and, you know, I'll be dropping things off during the show. So awesome. But I'll have a lot of the, the fused dishes, um, kind of expanding on what, what's in, in the loft already. Okay. Have, so. Very cool. And for those of you listening, this is for September of 2023. So the featured artist of the month goes through the third week of that month, uh, or the month prior to about the second or third week in the, the follow in, in through September. So um, be sure to stop in and check it out before, before it's gone. Um, I hope I, my scheduling of the podcast didn't screw up any of the, the pieces you're bringing. So <laughs> oh, no, it, uh, when I go home, I'll refill the kiln and we're, we're on our way again. Okay, awesome. <laughs> See guys, it wasn't my fault. Please don't blame me. <laughs> All right. Well, we like to end every podcast with some rapid fire questions. Okay. So the first one is, what purchase of $100 or less have you enjoyed the most in the last three months? Oh, you know, you know when I cruised over these, I was thinking $100 or more, $100 or less. Hmm. hmm. If you've got something over 100 as well, you, you're welcome to use it. You know, I love to shop the street fairs, so mm-hmm. it was probably a street fair item. Nice. <laughs> All right. Who is the most influential person outside of your family in your life? I don't know. I don't know. I would say my mother and father had a big impact on me. Mm -hmm. So I'm not sure. I'm a blend. I'm a blend of, you know, people that have surrounded me probably. Yeah. Yeah. I can't name one person. No, that's fine. Um, this is a fill-in-the-blank question. I know this is weird, but I've always wanted to blank. Hmm. You've done everything you wanted to do? <laughs> no. Well, it wouldn't be weird, but... Um, 
don't know, but I, I told you ahead of time that it was my mom that <laughs> stumped me, and she doesn't fly, and she wanted to hang glide, and this came up in a in an open meeting at a, a church event, and I was dumbfounded. So I, I guess when I spoke to you about that, that I'm totally stumped on my own things. Yeah. So. No, that's great. And I think that's why the question is fun, because sometimes people have some things that you're like, I don't understand. Why is that something you would want to do? But, you know, but in the way of like compared to what some of the other things you don't like. And so hmm. I think it's yeah. really cool. I don't know. That's all right. Um, who's an interesting or fascinating person that I should interview next? Wow. I don't know. <laughs> or are you, I don't I guess I don't know who you interview typically. Who do you normally interview? I've interviewed people from all over, all sorts of walks of life. Um, lots of business owners, um, influential people in our uh, community, um, some comedians, some musicians, um, art, lots of artists. So okay. kind of the whole gambit. I'm, uh, really, the focus of the Camino Voice started with Camino Sandwood area, but it's now kind of expanded to the Pacific Northwest. So people oh. within this area, um, I'm okay. always looking for, for more in, or new and interesting uh, interviews. Hmm. So, and if you don't, oh, go ahead. Well, I, I guess what about somebody from like Safe Harbor Clinic? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you've interviewed No, somebody. I haven't. Um, you know, that could speak more about how healthcare could be more sustainable or how, you know, the Safe Harbor Clinic does, um, uh, you know, helps <laughs> out with with people that are disadvantaged for healthcare. You know, yeah, maybe, absolutely. Maybe that's something that could be opened up. And Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. No, and I think that's so important. Um, the the healthcare system. I mean, we don't have to go off into it, but yeah. you know, obviously, the, it's a massive struggle. It's one of the one of the top three reasons for bankruptcy in America. Uh, you know, and and it's one of those things that obviously health things that happen are not planned, so they come out of nowhere, and it could set someone that was doing perfectly fine in life on this whole new path and trajectory. And um, yeah. I don't think that's fair. I don't not just fair. I don't think that's how a country should treat or help its people that live within it. Right. And I've known some people that have volunteered for Safe Harbor. And Mm -hmm. I think when I was going through my own cancer journey, um, the cost, even though I had the gold plan then, (laughs) um, you know, it was still very expensive to go through all of that. And so, yeah, I guess, I guess that's something that's close to me is, you know, finding ways to make healthcare affordable for, and just if people don't know it exists, that maybe that, you know, that's something and not, not to feel ashamed either to come and get help, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for, uh, for the shout out for them. All right. And lastly, what piece of advice would you give your 20 year old self? Um, don't worry about what other people think as much Mm. Um, to listen to your own internal voice. If you can hear it at that time, but maybe at 20, you can't, Yeah, you know, sometimes it's quiet and you're not (laughs) sure. Um, But yeah, try to, you know, within the bounds of, you know, politeness, um, try, try to follow your own path and and not don't try to please everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Well, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Thank you. All right. And Islanders, I will talk to you on the next one. Well, a big thank you to Julie Rizell for joining me on the podcast today. And thank you for listening. 
Don't forget to check out Kamano Cider Fest coming to Kamano Commons September 2nd. Uh, that's Labor Day weekend. So get your tickets. I'll have a link below. And thank you again to Julie for joining me on today's episode. And for more information on this episode, you can go into the show notes right below here or go to commandocommons.com slash podcast. That's commandocommons.com slash podcast. Thanks for listening and see you next time.